Welcome to the True Crime Squad. I am Christy Brower here with my very unconventional co-host, my cat Mimi. <laughs> She's decided to join me tonight, and I guess since Katie isn't here, that's just fine. Hopefully, she'll just stay on the back of my chair and not leap in the middle of my computer, as she is known to do. But welcome. This is our Wednesday case update show. You may remember that Katie is off at a softball tournament. Her daughter plays college softball. And uh, she's off having fun, I know, in Arizona. Jealous, as if we had another blizzard today. What the hell? I would much rather be in Arizona. Uh, but it's nice to be here with all of you. Welcome to those who are joining us live, those of you who are in the chat. And welcome to those of you who are listening after the fact on the podcast or watching on YouTube. We appreciate all of you so very much. This is our case update show, and I do have a lot to share with you. It is mostly Daybell Vallow, because as you can imagine, and I should rephrase that, it is mostly Vallow. And I think we will just say Vallow, the Vallow trial versus the Daybell trial. Now, just to make them easier to differentiate in between. And there's, boy, um, this severance has just brought Lori's attorneys right out of hibernation. So I think we're going to jump right into it because you're going to want to hear some of this stuff. First of all, because I think this is probably really um, the most interesting, and I'm going to read most of it to you because we're getting a lot um, of a view about uh, how, how these gentlemen write, J uh, Jim Archibald and John Thomas, who are Lori Vallow's attorneys. So they have filed just recently a motion to dismiss the death penalty. Now, you may remember we've been here before, but they have new reasoning. And guys, they aren't afraid of shock value. Let me just say that. We'll get there in a minute. So here, here are their reasons for uh, dismissing the death penalty in Lori's case. Media saturation of this case is still persistent. Even though the court has tempered the media exposure to potential jurors in Ada County by expelling cameras from the courtroom, the risk of media tainting the juror pool is still great. Nonstop articles about the case and the rehashing of the arguments at each hearing continue to expose potential jurors to prejudice and bias against the defendant. You know, I gotta say, one of the main reasons that I disagree with this statement is because I think that our criminal justice system, until really social media came around and streaming of um, hearings and true crime, we were pretty much in the dark about what our, our criminal justice system was doing. And you know, our prosecutors are elected, many of our judges are elected, our legislature is elected, our governor is elected. These are people that are hired to work on our behalf which means that we have every right to know what they are doing. And I get concerned about all of the hoopla around the media saturation of this case. This is a huge case. It's been handled 
strangely in some ways, poorly in others. It's very important to our community. And I do think we have a right to know because these people work for us. They are civil servants. They work for the taxpayers. They work for the citizens. So the fear of this bothers me. Also, I think that finding a completely untainted jury in the, in the world of social media probably isn't even possible. I think what's more possible is to be transparent and truthful about what's reported. But, you know, that's just my two cents. Because, of course, you know, we are in this, <laughs> we are included in this media saturation. Uh, next, there have been multiple discovery violations by the government in this case. Ooh, shots are fired because they've not really said anything about this until now. The discovery is admittedly voluminous in this case. Thank you, God. They said voluminous. The government has Bates stamped over 80,000 documents in this case, yet has admitted that it's just the bulk of it, not all of it. They literally did say that in court last week, which I went, holy shit, right? The government admitted this past week that there are more statements of a co-defendant as requested in discovery that still need to be copied and supplied to defense counsel. Defense counsel uh, don't know what we don't have, right? It could very well be Brady information, right? You can't withhold anything for fear that it is, in fact, something like that. You know, this is the whole DNA evidence um, argument all over again. If there's a death sentence in this case, appellate lawyers and post-conviction lawyers will inevitably find additional discovery that has not been turned over as the government has essentially admitted it hasn't turned everything over. Such discovery failures will cause any death verdict to be vacated and the case will start over. I don't know if that's entirely true, but he's not wrong that they can't know what they don't know and they do need to have copies of everything. And well, it's been taken a while. Uh, number three, the government wanting to kill a mentally ill person is a troubling thought. The fact of defendant's mental illness is known to the court and the government. This past week, the government submitted an opinion that maybe the defendant wasn't mentally ill, but just evil. Even if the government's new opinion of the defendant has some believers that the defendant is just evil, we don't kill witches anymore in America. We don't kill witches anymore in America. Anybody else ever read anything like that in a court filing? Because I'll tell you something. I have not. Thank you for the compliments on my hair. I'm really happy with it. Finally got it cut the way I want. I think we're in the right spot. Uh, yeah, we don't burn witches. We don't kill witches in this country anymore. I just thought that was really interesting that he uh, said that. Also, the state of Idaho doesn't have chemicals to kill people on death row. Boy, have we been talking about this for a couple of years. The government has tried mightily to kill Gerald Pizzuto on death row for 35 years, as we all know, because we've talked about it a lot. The Idaho Department of Corrections can't find drugs for killing, and so the execution hasn't been carried out. This has caused the Idaho legislature to currently debate a new law of assembling a firing squad. No shit, guys. They're talking about it. Even constructing a new building for the human target. Moral decency certainly can't accept the thought 
of marching a blindfolded, mentally ill woman in front of a firing squad. It's a pretty chilling picture, no matter who that person is, in my opinion. Even if the government secures a death verdict for Lori Daybell in this case, the new law won't apply. She will still be subject to the old law. In other words, even if the government is successful in convincing you to kill her, it will never happen. This is a capital murder case, and heightened scrutiny applies to the government's actions when it seeks to kill a defendant. For these reasons, and for the reasons previously stated in motions previously heard but not ruled upon yet by this court, the court should dismiss the death penalty in this case. Now, they are not holding anything back at this point, are they? And, you know, they made that big death penalty... um, objection a few weeks ago and the judge has not ruled on it yet part of that was that the judge felt it was premature um because she's not actually um uh convicted yet uh jean says what mental illness you mean her borderline narcissistic tendencies well no she does genuinely have a diagnosed mental illness and i do believe that they've had to force medicate her at this point in order for her to be uh able to stand trial to be competent there is legitimate mental illness here that has been proven um right sand willow says this just pisses me off witches were good women with midwives Lori is not a good woman right what a strange comparison to make i found that very odd um found it very odd right there are no meds that will cure her no one's saying that But there are generally um, guidelines that keep states from uh, executing the mentally ill and the developmentally disabled, that that is a mitigating circumstance. Generally, although it hasn't been in the Gerald Pesuto case, well, it kind of has been because they never have in 35 years actually executed him, but they've never totally officially said he wasn't. That, that he was too developmentally delayed to execute. That's, it's kind of a, um, it's, it's, there's some confusion there, but I do feel like that's one of the reasons why he's not ever been executed, even back when they could have. Yeah. Oh, Janet, I'm surprised she allowed this in the filing after not allowing her attorneys to bring her mental illness into the trial portion. Right? I know. This is, this is a lot um, stronger stance than we've seen out of her defense at all. Uh, they've just been waiting for their shot, I think. You know, Katie and I have been talking about this a lot since last week when the hearing was held where the cases were severed because we both just walked out of there reeling, as did everyone who was in the courtroom. And we really are questioning whether or not this is exactly what her defense wanted because it makes it easier for them to point the finger at Chad. So we'll see. I mean, she goes to court first. And one of the things that they've said, one of the reasons to combine cases like this is the reality that the second person to be tried um, can uh, actually be hurt by the first person's trial. You can kind of see where that's already going. You're going to see more of it here in a minute. Missy says they don't execute developmentally delayed and mentally ill individuals in Texas and Florida all the time. Oh, they do. Absolutely. They do. Every state has its own set of requirements. It's not, we don't have anything really federally that says this is the definition of mentally ill or this is the definition of 
um, developmentally disabled. It's kind of by state and it really depends. Yeah, right. I get it, Missy. You're not saying it's okay, but it does. Ha it does happen. It does. Um, I really genuinely think it's why Gerald Pizzuto has yet to be um, executed because up to this point, they just really didn't feel like he was um, developmentally up for it. So there's a lot there. There's a lot there. Yeah, Janet says it does seem she's going to have a huge advantage. Pryor is going to run out of options here. I know. I know because wait till you hear what else they have asked for. Because I, yeah, they have to take a completely different tack than Pryor is taking. They don't care about the DNA at this point. I think my, mainly because they can't, because she won't waive her right to speedy trial. So no matter what, they really can't do anything about it. Um, they have to go at this from a different angle. So they're going to go at this from she's mentally ill and Chad did it. I, I really think that's, you know, I mean, I know that's a, that's a very simplified version, but that's part of what they filed. Now, let me tell you what's been going on with the judge. So all the rules about trial attendance have come out. And one of the things that's come out is that there will be a courtroom in the Madison County Courthouse, which is in Rexburg, Idaho, um, where people can attend um, and watch a live stream of court. They're doing that in order to provide the local community where these murders occurred to have an option to view the trial, even though they're, you know, because we can't get it live streamed anywhere else. They chose the Madison County Courthouse because it's significantly larger than the Fremont County um, Courthouse. And so, you know, just in trying to find somewhere to, um, you know, hold it that can be a space that can be used for that long that the courthouse can't use for other reasons and, and enough space for people who want to be there. Uh, Colleen says, I was stopped by a person who had been committed and the police wouldn't do anything because he was mentally ill. Now that is bullshit. They can't allow them to hurt anyone, but this is justification for maybe not executing her. These are all reasons that they're planning to bring up in the penalty phase of, um, of this trial. And I think that they're trying to get it out there now. Like, hey, this is what we're going to say if you want to rule on it now. And the judge may not rule on any of it until after the uh, guilty phase of the trial is done. So we'll see. But let's talk a little bit about what the judge, the rules the judge has put out for. This is for people who attend in person in Ada County. And it is also for people who attend uh, to the live stream that is local to us. We are working on a plan. If you are local to us and you are um, listening, please reach out to us. We are working on a plan to try to get someone who represents us in that courtroom every day. No, nobody can go to the whole thing. There is no way. But we've thought we have Katie and I have some ideas about that. So if you're local, if you live in Rexburg, Idaho Falls, and you know, you're willing to take a day here and there, we want to talk to you because we would like to have some have ourselves represented in some way there so that we can then report on what's happening on a continuous basis. Uh, let's see. So let's see. Um, everyone will be screened through security, handbags, backpacks, and other items are subject to inspection. 
cell phones must be off or in silent mode, um, just like what we've been uh what we've been doing, um, you know, you can't record, photograph, or transmit sounds, images, or video from the courtroom, but we could live uh, live uh, post it like we have been in our Facebook group. Seating is provided on a first-come basis through an online registration system. Registrations can be made the business day before each trial. So here's the thing. You have to register the day before for each individual day of court in Ada and in Madison. So you can't just register and have a seat for the whole trial. Oh no, they're making it extremely difficult, complicated, and a pain in the butt for everybody. We will have to register the day before every single day of this trial. Uh, they are including the media in that, which I think is pretty interesting. Yeah, Sarah says it's like Disney World, right? Why can't they just have a certain number of seats and let people register at the beginning? It's just, it's going to be too complicated. When you are registered, you have to arrive with an email that says you have a seat and your ID, and they're going to do that each day. I think they're going to abandon this because it's too hard. Uh, we can't, no one can wear buttons or images or that display messages of any kind. So you can't wear a button with the kids' faces on it or, you know, where are the children? That was the big slogan around here for a long time. We can't do any of that. Um, so the overflow rooms are being offered only for the person, portions of the jury trial that are public. Very confused about what portions of a jury trial would not be public. Uh, subject to the technological needs and possible periodic uh, interruptions due to technical technological issues, Judge Boyce wrote. So we'll see how that goes. I think this is going to be way more complicated than they can even imagine. They are going to have, I mean, this is a full-time job for several people for like this is scheduled for 10 weeks. I don't know if it's going to take that long, but yeah, it does seem like Judge Boyce is overcomplicating this. I would agree. Yeah. Right. If they're allowing some access, just allow all. I agree, Janet. But now the worry is tainting the jury pool for Chad's trial. This will make it even harder for anybody to ever get cameras in that courtroom, unfortunately. Uh, Jean says maybe she will cut a deal last minute. Uh, she may, you know, we're, we're still not out of the woods on that because her attorney has said that that would be his preference. I think what you have to know, though, and Katie and I realized this last week, is that a lot of what he's saying to the judge, there's this whole undercurrent of he's giving the judge messages like she is refusing to waive speedy trial. She is refusing to um, <laughs> turn on her husband. And uh, she's not really interested in taking any um, uh, deals at this point either, I don't think. Um, so, yeah, he is trying to make this disappear, which it just isn't going to do. And fighting that is just going to make it worse. Uh, yeah, no reserve seating for the media, which I found very interesting. Uh, family members do get priority seating. And I'm going to assume they will be in Ada County. There would be no reason for them to be here. Uh, yeah. Uh, Missy says, isn't that government literally restricting free speech by not setting seats aside for the press? 
Um, maybe. I don't know. I don't know really what the laws are when it comes to this kind of thing. Idaho is not used to this kind of scrutiny. You got to understand that it doesn't make it right. It just means they're new to this. Like our, um, our elected officials in our legal system, they're not used to getting watched like this. And in bigger places where there have been big murder trials and stuff, they're more used to this. They know how to handle these things. These guys here are feeling very threatened. They literally have been threatened. And I think that that's a new thing for most of them to be receiving any kind of threats. And I think that they're responding by a, in a huge overreaction. I don't know why there couldn't be reserved seats for media and all the other seats are first come first serve. That would make this so much simpler than all of this. Right, Janet. Well, they need to figure this out for the Koberger case too, right? I am sure that the judge and the attorneys in the Koberger case are watching this going, okay, is this how it's going to end up for us? Because they're, they're, his trial will likely end up in Ada County as well. I, I wouldn't be surprised at all. Yeah, they will get threats while this is going on. Um, just like, uh, you know, um, Murdoch's tr uh, attorney has said that he's received a bunch of threats while he was representing Murdoch. How are we going to know what is going on? Well, media will be present. We are attempting to have someone in the courtroom um, each day to, who can post in our Facebook group. I think that's the best way. And then once a week, we'll do a sum up. I, I, we're just still, you know, catching up on this too, but we're thinking. Uh, Lori Hellis did file and, and her, um, she was shut right down by the courts. It's not going to go anywhere. Uh, let's see, like who filed when Mark Means tries to subpoena Nate Eaton? <laughs> uh, that was, yeah, that was the media, the media, the media has already been represented by an attorney in front of this judge and it went absolutely nowhere. So I think it's unlikely we're going to see this change. I think we're just going to have to adjust to it, which is why um, we're going to, you know, we're doing our best to have someone in the courtroom as much, or at least at the live stream at the courthouse as much as possible. So we're hoping to put together a team where we have somebody there every day who can be posting in our Facebook group so that we can figure out what the hell's going on, right? Because it is a lot to keep track of and we want to know. You're very welcome, Jean. We, we feel very committed to this. This is super important to us because we've been on this case from the beginning. And, you know, we, we want to be present for this trial. We feel like it's important. That being said, there is no hearing tomorrow. Uh, they, you know, there was a hearing scheduled for tomorrow and then the trials got severed and all kinds of stuff changed. So there is a trial. There is a hearing on the 15th. And Katie and I will be there for that one because it's in Matt. It's in Fremont County. Uh, Paula, is it common to charge for access to the audio? Audio will be, be available after each day at a cost of 25 cents a minute. I know. Uh, yeah, it, it is because it does require admin. Um, there are also transcripts. Um, it's going to be very expensive. It's going to be something like thousands of dollars to get everything for this trial. Um, I, I agree. Monetization is pretty gross. Um, we did overhear some conversation in the courtroom last week that indicated that this is one way that the county is trying to come up with the money to pay for this trial. Because this is, especially now that they're going to have to do it twice, this is tremendously expensive. 
Yeah, even litigants have to pay for transcripts, yes. And it is simply because it's someone's job to create the audio files, to create the transcripts, to make the copies. It, like, they have to charge. Um, but it is a little scary um, the, to the level that they are, um, you know, clamping all of this down. The hope is that a big outlet will share it. They can. We don't know if they will. We shall see. We're sure that East Idaho News will have it. They get it. They they're already getting everything uh, that's happening now since they could no longer live stream. Uh, and they're they are making that available on their website and YouTube channel. So hopefully at least we will have that. Okay, let's talk about some more stuff going on in Daybell Vallow before I get to these other things. Because there have been some other things that have been filed. Let's see. It's weird when I'm by myself because then when I'm going through my notes, there's no one else to talk while I'm doing that. <laughs> uh, oh, just there was a hearing notice filed that there is a, a motion hearing on um, March 15th, which is the next hearing for Lori. There's nothing scheduled for chat at this point on the iCourt portal. So we're just keeping a close eye on what's happening because at this point now, there will be some hearings on Chad's behalf as well, and they will now be at different times. It all means um, going to court more <laughs> for us. So we're going to figure it out. Let's see. Maybe see what I'm looking at here. There are lots of things. Oh, yeah, there's the order for the courtroom guidelines. So this now, one of the things that Lori's attorneys want, one of many, is they want um, some more discovery. Um, they are asking for Anything that they have that they haven't already turned over because they really made it pretty clear in the last hearing that they have some stuff that they have not turned over. Um, they want statements made by co-defendant. Uh, there are any written or recorded statements of a co-defendant. So this is anything involving Chad. Um, upon information and belief, the state is withholding material evidence that is not in the possession of the defendant and is needed for preparation for trial. The defendant's counsel on March 6, 2023 was provided two audio files containing approximately 60 minutes of audio statements of co-defendant Chad Guy Daybell and what counsel believes are conversations with individuals identified as witnesses in the case. It is the belief of the defendant that the state of Idaho may be in possession as a conservative estimate based on the number of weeks the co-defendant has been in jail pre-trial of over 100 hours of audio recordings of a co-defendant that has not been turned over to the defense in this case. These would be jail recordings they're looking for, or recordings with law enforcement. Um, based on the nature of the conversations heard by counsel for Lori, there are likely materials within the same that may be material to either guilt or punishment. Um, again, they're talking about their, their recorded statements that could 
um, you know, be Brady violations if they're not turned over. The defendant will not, nor should we be compelled to discuss in this motion our theories as to why we believe this information is potentially material. Simply put, the defense doesn't know what the defense doesn't have. This is the second time I've seen this in their filings just this week. The state of Idaho is required by court rule to turn over all evidence pursuant to Rule 16. As the court will recall, this court admonished the state previously in another hearing regarding the need to turn over all evidence under Rule 16 as the defense for Lori argued that the state of Idaho was damming up discovery and releasing it at its convenience. The state indicated that it had turned over the majority, but not everything, right? We, we remember them saying they had turned over um, the bulk of, um, of the discovery, but it was not everything. So uh, they want any jail calls that the state intends to introduce as evidence. Uh, and they want stuff that even that they haven't decided to produce, to introduce into evidence, they still want to review it. Um, so, <laughs> should be very interesting because now we're really seeing why, you know, the difference between the defense strategies and, you know, stuff that has not been um, asked for previously. Let's see, could it be made, could it be statements by Alex? No, these are specifically statements. Um, they're, they're saying they're specifically um, statements made by Chad. Um, anything you say can and will be held against you, right? Yeah, Sarah, exactly, right? So if there's anything um, recording that's recorded that hasn't been turned over, they want it. Right, and they are stating that the state is deliberately trying to stall things. We've seen a lot of that. The judge made it really clear in the last hearing he does not think that is true at all. Um, it's just... Uh, the, the prosecutor's office is struggling with the, as we know, voluminous amount of uh, evidence. And some of which just they didn't get back from some of this, the stuff that came from the FBI and that came from the police department that they didn't have either. Statements by Alex would be hearsay, right? Right, but Chad is a co-defendant, so his stuff can come in. So yeah, they want everything that they have. Do we know if their communication has been direct, as in not by lawyers? Oh, no, they have had no direct communication. And recently, um, Lori's attorneys had asked on her behalf if they could meet with Chad and his attorney to sort of talk through strategy and kind of Lori wanted to know what Chad thought about taking a deal. And, um, well, John Pryor, Chad's attorney, absolutely freaked out out over that and ultimately they said no we can't do you can't do that because that would actually turn them all into um witnesses because um attorney client privilege is only attached when it's only you and your attorneys if you bring in anyone else then it's not and then everyone's a witness and those things have to be made public so yeah no they have not had any contact with each other 
but there are questions about, um, it, it appears that Chad's children have been visiting him and those uh, visits can be recorded. Phone calls from family members and friends are recorded on the Telnet system. Like that kind of stuff um, definitely can, can and sounds like does exist. So that is where we are. I mean, we are rushing toward um, April 3rd, the trial date. They will be, um, you know, heading to Boise and not that long to start um, jury selection. And then, you know, we'll see where we go from there. So it's going to be really interesting. But again, if you are local and you want to help um, attend court, you want to be there and, um, you know, post on our Facebook page for us some days, hit us up because we would really, really appreciate that. You could probably the easiest way to do that on our Facebook page. Right. They did speak once um, without judge's permission in April. No, that wasn't April. It was not April. It was July of last year. Um, so we know that did happen. But the sheriff apparently gave permission for that. I don't know what made the sheriff think he had the right. But since then, the judge has said no. But they have not been allowed any like consistent contact with each other. That has not been allowed because they are uh, co-conspirators. So. Whew, that's the daybell update. So we've got a little bit more. My hair is falling up, falling apart on me, guys. It's wilting, kind of like I am wilting today. Okay, let's talk about a couple of other things. Um, some filings in the uh, Petito lawsuits. Um, one, a bunch of filings around just why they're suing the Moab Police Department. Pretty interesting stuff there. Uh, let's see. And then also they've filed to try to make an explanation for the uh, the letter. Remember the letter that Brian's mother wrote to him that said burn after reading? Yeah, she's trying to make a statement that that was just a letter to trying to reconnect with her son. If it was, why would you? put that on the envelope, right? So they're trying to explain that away. Um, I'm curious to see what the judge will think of that explanation. Then we do have the uh, filing on the, the charging uh, document on James Brenner, who is the man who is charged with the murder of Dylan Rounds. So I wanted to read that to you. There are two counts. Uh, and this, this is coming out of Box Elder County, Utah. Uh, count one, aggravated murder, uh, first degree, a first degree felony in violation of Utah code, blah, blah, blah. Um, that on or about May 28th, 2022, the defendant did one intentionally or knowingly cause the death of another. And the defendant um, and the actor previously the actor previously committed or was convicted of an offense committed in another jurisdiction, which if committed in this state would be a violation of a crime listed in that. That's about him owning guns. He is a felon and isn't supposed to be having any guns. So he did um, kill Dylan Rounds, Dylan Round with Rounds with while he was also old, owning guns when he wasn't supposed to be. Count two, abuse or desecration of a human body. This is a third degree felony. 
um, that on or about May 28th, 2022, the defendant did intentionally and unlawfully disturb, move, remove, conceal, or destroy a dead human body or any part of it. Um, now you'll remember that um, Chad and Lori actually have that same charge. Oh, Paula says, why would you tell your son you would help him bury a body right before he was leaving on a trip with his girlfriend? Premonition or premeditation? Very good question. Yeah. There's lots of questions about why that letter, what was that all about? Uh, then we have some stuff going on in Coburger, and it's mostly just the fight around sealing everything. So what we have is uh, State v. Brian Koberger. This is a motion to temporarily seal the stipulation release and property, the stipulation to release property and related documents pending hearing. The state of Idaho, by and through the Latah County prosecuting attorney, respectfully moves the court pursuant to Idaho court administrative rule, blah, 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 for a temporary order sealing the stipulation to release property and all related documents, including exhibit A and B and any order filed therein because release or disclosure would interfere with enforcement proceedings, deprive a person of a right to fair trial, constitute an unwarranted invasion of personal privacy, disclose the identity of a confidential source and or disclose the investigative techniques and procedures. Uh, the state respectfully prays that the court temporarily seal from public disclosure herein under the provisions of Idaho court, blah, blah, blah. So there's a lot going on in relation to that. There's this, there's, there's a memo. There was a memo in this court that, or in this case in Coburger, where the judge met with the attorneys, the prosecution and the defense to tell them, I'm gonna lock this down. And it was a conversation about that. And um, there's been some attempts to get that memo unsealed and actually it's out there in a redacted form now. Really all it is is just the judge saying, I don't want any of this going public, y'all gotta shut up. It's That's the very short version. Let's see, what else have we got? Uh, and so the, the court did um, confirm an order that the stipulation to release property and all related documents, including exhibits A and B, um, are confidential and exempt from exclosure, disclosure and are sealed. So you can see Idaho not used to really any kind of scrutiny and they're not loving this. So then um, we have this lawsuit, the Associated Press versus the Second Judicial Court of the State of Idaho County of Latah. So this is the press suing, saying we want access to all this stuff and Exhibit A is this memo. It's actually here. I can, I have it. It's not really anything very important. It's just them saying, yeah, we're going to lock all this down and nobody's going to hear any of this or get to see any copies. So it'll be interesting to see where this goes because they're, um, Press corps is just really not 
letting up on this. Um, but I don't know how well it's going to go because we're, you know, if you can see what's going on in any of these other cases lately. Uh, let's see. Oh, there is another filing by Brian Koberger's attorney asking for a second death penalty certified attorney to join the case. She wants a second chair. Um, which, you know, I think most of, I think that's pretty standard in these cases, but it'll be interesting to see who they pick. Cause again, there aren't that many. Um, so there's a motion, um, to appoint co-counsel. Uh, and so they, they did, um, rule in the judge did rule in favor of that. And so this is public defender stuff. So they will have to find him another public defender that is death penalty certified and Laytock County is a little place. I don't know what they've got in that area. Let's see. Did I have anything else? Oh yeah. One other thing, the crumblies. So right now the crumblies, there is an appeal going on right now. This is with, um, uh, Nathan Crumbly's parents, Nathan Crumbly is a, or Ethan, sorry, Ethan Crumbly is a school shooter. He has already pled guilty. Um, his parents were charged with four counts of involuntary manslaughter for uh, providing them with the gun. Um, and so their attorneys are filing an appeal right now, basically trying to take this to a higher court to get it ruled upon whether it's even legal to charge these parents. And the filing's pretty interesting because it says it will open up liability and danger to parents all over the state for the behavior of their children. And I think, you know, when you like literally provide the gun in a case like that, eh, yeah. You know, I, I don't think parents are always responsible for the actions of their children, it's not true. But when they're actively involved in providing the weapon to a mentally ill child who's 15 years old, can't own that weapon legally on his own, and is seriously mentally ill and begging for help, and instead of getting him help, they bought him this gun and then he shot up his school. So this is going to be really interesting. It's, it will be very precedenting, a very precedent-setting ruling um, if they, if the higher court in Michigan upholds these charges. So we'll see what happens with that. But I think that's really interesting. Right. I agree, Cranky. It should open up liability to the parents if, in fact, they they participated. Why would you give your mentally ill 15-year-old, or frankly, any 15-year-old, a gun like that? It's just, it's real strange. And it certainly wasn't in the best interest of their child or anyone else. Right, Sarah, it's a slippery slope. It is. It is. Um, you know, we've seen another one. Um, there's another case similar. So in another state. So we're going to see a lot. Right, Sherry, I think no parent would think their child would be capable of doing what he did. I agree. But when you've got a kid who is talking about hearing 
hearing voices and seeing things that aren't there and afraid and asking for help. And I mean, there's so much evidence that he was trying to get help and they were ignoring him. I think in this case, it's pretty egregious. Yeah, he was obviously a train wreck. I agree, Cranky. Uh, Paula said, I run, I read one news story that there are 13 death penalty certified attorneys in Idaho. Yeah. And that she is the only one in Northern Idaho. Yeah. <laughs> so they're going to have to get somebody up there. That was one reason why I found it really interesting. We talked about this after the Dave Valo hearing that we went to last week where they were talking about um, an attorney um, that was listening in who is a public defender here in the county where I live. And we were wondering, like, is he trying to get death penalty certified? Is that why he's involved? Like, why was he listening in? It's kind of a weird thing. But I would imagine at this point, Idaho is feeling like they are really lacking resources, as we are always lacking resources, you guys. I'm sure you can understand if you live in a state like ours. But can you imagine there only being 13 death, death penalty certified attorneys in your state? Yeah. And we have these two huge cases going. Now, one interesting thing is that Koberger, they have not actually come out and said they're seeking the death penalty against Koberger yet. They still There's still some time on that for the prosecutor's office to come out and say that. But it seems pretty clear that his defense attorney is expecting that, where they're already asking for a, a certified co-counsel. So it's going to be interesting. There's so much going on. But these were the main cases that really caught me. Uh, right now, I'm, I'm sure there's other stuff going on. There's all kinds of drama going on with uh, with Buster Murdoch. And I don't know. I don't even care. I don't even want to say Murdoch. I don't ever want to say that name again. I'm going to feel the same way about Dave Ellen Vallow when this is over. And probably Coburg, too. Because I'm sick of it. All of it. Um, so these were the things that I felt like were the most interesting for us to share. So Katie will be back with me next week. We'll be back for all our usual content, including next Thursday, there will be the Vallow hearing that we will attend and we will do a live stream on that after the fact. Those of you who are members of our YouTube channel or our Patreon, we do have the Psychic Hour tomorrow night and my wife Rhonda will be joining um, as my guest host. So that's going to be a lot of fun. So I just want to say thank you for being here with me tonight and for, as always, being supportive of us. And, you know, we're just trying to bring everything we can to you. And, you know, if you're local and you want to join our little team to have somebody in court every day for the Vallow trial, hit us up because we, we're going to have to create a team to make that happen. Well, we love you. We appreciate you. Thank you all for being here. You know it. We are the True Crime Squad. Have a good night.